And what a beautiful picture. Someday we will see him seated on the throne. And so God, today we're trying to figure out what it means to live worthy ourselves. We thank you that because of the cross, our sin is always covered. It's washed away. And what you see in us is really the beauty of your son. We love your son and we thank you for him. Amen. Have you ever noticed that there are exceptions to everything? Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever been in those conversations with people where they're saying all kinds of things and you know this word is coming? But, and then after that, they have this other information they want to give us. Passage that we're going to read today, we have to be thankful that there is an exception. Because all of a sudden now, in chapter 6 of the book of Genesis, God, through the writer, probably Moses, explains exactly what society is like at this point. And thank God there was an exception. And that exception's name was Noah. I'm calling this message, but Noah. And it, it all comes down to just one verse of what it says about him. But we're, we're on to the next generation or the next history. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, it says, These are the generation of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So all of a sudden in chapter 6, we're going to get back to verse 1 in a second here, but in verse 9, it tells us, and now it's going to tell the story of this man named Noah. Now we've heard of Noah before because at the end of the last generations of, of Adam, it talked about Lamech, his father, and how Lamech prayed that his son would somehow be a comfort from the curse of all that they were experiencing because of the rebellion and sin of mankind. And now we get to hear the story of Noah. You know, I'm not going to sing the song of Arise and Shine and Give God the Glory because that tells the story of Noah. But I think it's interesting what Scripture says. So let's go back to verse 1 of chapter 6. Well, if you read on, it says this, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Do you notice a reoccurring theme here? Corruption. Do we ever hear about corruption in the news? A corrupt society, corruption, it's like we're living the repeat of this. In the story of Noah was a time of corruption. In fact, the first seven verses explain what that corruption was more like. Let's take a look at it. It says this, When men began to multiply on the face of the earth and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took 
as their wives any that they chose. The first thing that you see is that God created marriage and marriage is corrupted. And the way it's corrupted is that people who were seeking God decide to look on the outside instead of the inside of somebody else. And what you see here is the beginning of spiritual incompatibility in marriage. You have the sons of God, people seeking God. And it describes them as the daughters of men. This has always been an issue, isn't it? You know, Scripture even in the New Testament talks about the fact that we're not supposed to be unequally yoked in marriage. That we are supposed to marry somebody that we're spiritually compatible with. And yet, we watch over and over again as young people get really attracted to people that are not spiritually minded people. And instead of having a spiritually driven marriage, they just have a marriage. And so, one of the things that was corrupted was this thing that God created called marriage. And instead of looking for spiritual compatibility, they just looked for attractiveness. Other kinds of compatibility. There are people that sit in this room today and have struggled with the challenge of spiritual incompatibility in their marriage. But in this time, marriage was corrupted. Not only marriage was corrupted, but the lifespan was corrupted. This is what God said. Then God said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days will be 120 days. Now, it 20 years. You know, it's interesting because when we read the genealogy of Adam, these people were living almost a millennium. But all of a sudden, because of the sinfulness of man, God just had to put to change the time date on a lifespan. And said, I don't think they should live any longer than this. Because the lifespan of people was corrupted. And they lived in sin a very long time. And so God decided he had to change the lifespan. This is always an interesting verse. It says in verse 6, The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of man came into the daughters of women and they bore children to them, these were mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Now people have taken all different kinds of theories of this sons of God and the daughters of men, and they've tried to, to, to say maybe it was angels and all that kind of thing. That does not line up with what Scripture teaches us. But what we know here is that strength was corrupted. Instead of strength being something that was a gift from God, look at how I'm mighty Look how I'm bigger. Look at how God has blessed me. Instead, it became just the stories of men. It it no longer was a history with God. It was just a history of men. And instead of celebrating what God could do in any person, all of a sudden, they did what every society does even today, is they just celebrated people that were extraordinary in some way. One of the things that it lists here is that they were extraordinary in height. They were bigger than normal. You see, instead of strength being something that God gives us so that we can do the work that we can do, all of a sudden it's just, I'm gifted and I'm better than other people. And they begin telling those stories 
The Nephilim are probably like some people who are of a background that that lines up with the Vikings, and so they want to tell the great stories of the Vikings. Or maybe people that are German, and they want to tell stories of the great ancestors of Germany. Or maybe they're Irish, and they want to tell the story of the, the great Irishmen. You know, that's what the Nephilim represent. It represents the best of humanity that we want to celebrate. You know, the thing about that that's so scary is what we want to celebrate is usually pretty shallow. We want to celebrate what makes us look better, what makes us feel better, what makes them look better. That was the corruption that was taking place is all of a sudden, instead of seeing everybody as an image bearer that was gifted, it was only certain people that were special and gifted. Does this sound familiar? Do we live in a society like that? Do you realize that the funeral for Prince Diana that was just pretty and happened to be a royal person was more watched and better attended than Mother Teresa's? Nephilim. Strength corrupted. Goes on and says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now we've got to remember that evil at its smallest idea, evil stands for life without God. That's what evil means, without God. Now, we've taken evil to mean vile things, and it certainly is that. But God looked into the heart of people, and he saw that none of them wanted anything more than selfishly what they wanted and to figure out how to make themselves number one and to do whatever it took. And it took a look at their ideas, and they were very evil. When I was a little kid, my dad... We're having a movie night, and the old black and white Dracula came on, and oh, I couldn't sleep that night because that was the most evil movie I'd ever seen. If you watched it today, you'd think, oh, that, that's a campy movie. That's silly. There's nothing scary about that. But we just celebrated Halloween, and every year, more vile and more evil movies are created so that we can help people figure out how to kill each other more creatively. That's what that holiday and the movies of that holiday are part of. You see, here's a phrase. You've heard me say this before that you need to understand this. When bad gets worse, then bad doesn't look that bad. And we live in a society and every era of society every generation of society is corrupted by evil some of the things that we grew up in were like "Ooh, that's bad now now that's not even that big a deal but god looked into the heart of all people that he had created in this place that he had created and all he saw was that hearts were corrupted. And in verse 6 it says this, And God was sorry that He had made man on the earth, and it grieved Him to His heart. You know, when God created man, what did He say? It is very good. 
But now, years later, after man had made choices to rebel against God and to set up their own set of right and wrong and to not simply trust in God, he looked at creation and what was going on and he was grieved and he was sorry that he ever did it. So God decides something. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I created from the face of the land, man, animals, and creeping things, and birds of heavens, for I am sorry that I made them. This is one of those times where it's a lot of bad information, corrupt marriage, corrupt strength, corrupt hearts, grieving God. But then we get verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. But Noah makes a pretty big difference for us, doesn't it? Yeah. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. In our society today, as we see corrupt marriages, corrupt strength, corrupt hearts. We once again are looking for that same exception, aren't we? But but who is the Noah and what's going to take place? So let's figure out why was Noah the righteous exception? First of all, Noah was a righteous man and he was blameless in his generation. You know, there are times when it's easy to live as Christians and to live out our faith and it's easy and we're getting further away from that time. Even in our society today, there are times when Christians stand up for things or or say that they're going to do things in a certain way and it just kind of blows people away. It can even be the smallest thing. Go into the store and the guy gives me too much change and I give it back to him and he goes, oh, that was my mistake, you can keep it. And I'm like, no, no, that's stealing. My integrity is worth more than seven cents. So I will give you the seven cents back. It's all of these different places where all of a sudden I I, I sense that, you know, we we probably face it more than they do maybe in the Bible Belt and we face it maybe a little bit more than they do at home in North Dakota. But it's not easy sometimes being a Christian in this society. But Noah was a righteous man, blameless, blameless, in his generation. Somehow, even though the whole generation went this direction, Noah went the other direction. And God saw that. Noah lived a life of integrity. Noah did what was right when everybody else was doing what was wrong. Noah lived by a standard that God had placed in his heart. And he didn't use comparison to give himself permission to compromise it. Noah was blameless. Noah walked with God. There was one other guy that walked with God. We've already read about him. His name is Enoch. What happened to Enoch? He walked with God and then he was no more. He went to be with God. 
And I think that sometimes when you're walking with God, that's really what you want. It's, it's not easy, you know. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. And we're like, okay, then I want out. I'd rather be in the world that you have for me later than the world that I'm in now. Uh, I can remember my father-in-law talking about, I, I, I'm pretty ready for heaven, Jim. Because sometimes this world is a hard world. Noah walked with God. And when the Word of God talks about that, that means the idea that Noah had a real relationship with God. He walked with him. He was in connection with him. We read on and it says this, And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. God shared his heart with Noah. This is interesting. They had such a good relationship that God told Noah how he felt. He understood God's heart. I think there are times that God opens up our eyes and we see a situation and we see it not from our perspective, but from God's perspective. God was willing to let Noah in. God shared his heart with Noah. So in verse 14, it says, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. God saves Noah. Now we're going to talk in great detail about that when I get back from vacation. I'm going to go to North Dakota this next week and be away from the promised land. But God saves Noah with gopher wood. Here's the reality. We can be the exception in this generation. That's the reality. In this generation, we could sit and we could talk about how marriage has been destroyed and how it's being redefined by our society today. God's Word does not teach same-sex marriage. But our society is voting and changing God's word, right? Saying this is acceptable. You see, all of these things are being corrupted in our world today. Wouldn't you say marriage is being corrupted? I would say that marriage is being corrupted. The lifespan is being corrupted. People are seeking all kinds of things and not God, but there, there is a sense that it's, it's being corrupted. Strength is being corrupted, wouldn't you say? Might makes right. Beauty wins the argument. The more likes you get on Facebook, the more popular you are. The more followers you have on Twitter, the stronger you are. This is the world that we live in today. Strength has corrupted people. And hearts are corrupted, wouldn't you say? It's amazing what people can rationalize. Did you know that there's a movement right now to make pedophile like another thing like race? You know, we have race, sexual orientation, all these different things that have equal rights. There's a group of people that are trying to say that pedophiles need those same rights. They can't help it. They were just born that way. They, they should have the same rights that everybody else should. It doesn't make any sense to us, but the hearts of people are corrupted and they want what they want. 
And so they think that somehow maybe we will make it legal so they can do whatever they want because we can change God's law and make it a different law. We live in a corrupt society, but we can be the exception. God saved us. You see, the wood of an ark saved Noah and his family, but the wood of the cross that Jesus Christ bore for us can save us, and we can be the exception. It says this in Corinthians. It says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are saved it is the power of God. We can be the exception, and the reason that we can be the exception is because the wood of the cross where Christ bore our sins allows us to live a life that is different in the midst of a very corrupt society. But the reality is, is that for us to do that, we have to be honest and say, God, our hearts are as corrupt as the society is around us. God, we are sinful. God, we have chosen not to follow you. God, will you save me? And all of a sudden, it's not just but Noah anymore, but it's but Jim, but Jen, but Karen, but Rex. We get to be the exception. Maybe we should get buttons and say that. Just say that. Hi, my name is Jim, and I am the exception. (laughs) God saved us, but more than saved us, what else did He do? God calls us the exception in this generation. Think of this. This is what He says we are. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellency of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous night. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are the exception. We're challenged, though. We're challenged to live blamelessly. This is what Peter says. Therefore, prepare your minds for actions. Being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that was brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not conform to the passions of your former ignorance but as he who called you is holy you also be holy in your contact conduct since it is written you shall be holy as i am holy because we are the exception we are not supposed to live a corrupt life anymore even in sunday school today we were talking and somebody mentioned that they have a sibling that says they're saved, but, but they watch their life and their life still look like it's very much a life of a corrupt generation. Does that make sense? One of the things that I pray for myself and I pray for us as a people is that we will be distinctively Christian. 
that the world will not see us as weird out there trying to be obnoxious Christians, but as we quietly live our lives like Paul spoke of more than once where he says, what did he say? To live your life quietly in a manner that is worthy of your calling. You see, we are the exception, but because we are the exception, God wants us to live differently in this corrupt world. In fact, he says that we can. In Corinthians, he tells us that that there will always be an escape and always be the opportunity to live a holy life. Every one of you know, if you have asked Jesus to be your Savior, you know the reality that most of the time when you sin, you are aware that you are quenching the Spirit in your life and you're saying no to God and you're saying yes to me at that moment. God calls us to live differently. We can walk with God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live in the flesh by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. This is the thing that some people just don't understand. We are not called to a new ritual by becoming Christians. We are called to a relationship with the living God and we can walk with God and we can be in communion with God and we can know God. John 17.13 says, this is eternal life. What? To know God. To be in relationship with God. Because we are the exception because of what Christ did on the cross for us, we can live in relationship with God. But not only that, but in His Word, He has shared His heart with us. This is God's heart. Listen to God's heart. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some counselness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all shall reach repentance. Do you realize how patient God has been with each one of us? Are you glad for the years of patience that God had for you? Those years when you were standing far from God, but He was willing to patiently woo you back to a place of relationship with Him. Praise God for His mercy. Praise God for His willingness to die in my place so that even though I'm not blameless, that when He looks down at me because of the cross, I am blameless. Praise God that because of grace, I am the exception to the corrupt world that's around me. I am uniquely different. Every day I'm confronted with that difference because I watch people make choices that now just blow my mind. I can't imagine you doing that. But you used to do that yourself. But because of what Christ has done in you, you see life differently. Some of you are first-generation Christian in your family and you're listening to your kids and your kids are second-generation and they're not even having to think about some of the things that you had to think about because you are teaching them to live differently than the corrupt world that God saved you from. 
because we are living the exception. And his heart is the reason he's patient. Think about it. At the beginning of time there, he looked and he only saw one man, one single man that was following after him. And he saved that one man. And he destroyed everyone else. There was an end to his patience then. But today there is not an end to his patience. He's constantly giving people another chance. He's not saying to someone, three strikes and you're out. Until the day they die, people have opportunity. (coughs) Sandy has started a ministry at the nursing home. And she's had the joy of leading people in the, the, the winter of their life to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because she understands that the heart of God is He is not slow in His patience, but He wants everybody to come to repentance. As you read on, it says in Peter, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night when the heavens <coughs> will pass away with a roar and heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. See, God is patient. But there is a line someday. Everyone has given more than ample opportunities to make that choice. But you have to make that choice. You know, some of you sitting in this room maybe have never made that choice. You've never asked Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior. You, you've decided that, you know what, I, I'm a good person. I, I, I don't do the bad things like I see on television or I read about on the radio or even I see in school. I don't do those things. I'm better than those things. And you've decided that in your strength, you're okay. But the Word of God says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone has sinned. So everyone needs a Savior. And it's pretty humbling to to say to God, you know what, God, I cannot make it on my own. I, I need what the cross is. I need what Jesus Christ died for. He took the punishment for my sin. I need Him to forgive me. It's hard to do that. But if you've never done that, you need to do that so that you can be a part of the exception. You need to pray that prayer today and ask Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior. God's heart is seen in Christ's last words before He died, before He was raised into heaven. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. God has a heart that everybody can be the exception. Now, occasionally, we think that we are the Holy Spirit and we watch somebody that is just routinely annoying and evil and we decide that God could never save them. But that's not how God thinks. Because if that was true, then some of us should probably not be in the kingdom. Because I was pretty annoying and pretty sinful. And God saved me. 
So that's what we want to celebrate today. As we take communion today, we want to thank God for the exception that he created, that we can be his children, royal peace, uh, part of the family of God. Because of what Christ did on the cross for us. I encourage you to come to the table now and join me in the exception. Uh, We practice what is called open communion here at Lake Placid. If you have a personal relationship with the Lord, you've asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, we encourage you to come to the table and take of the elements. If you do not have a relationship with the Lord, I encourage you to pass the elements on. This is serious business here. This isn't a snack in church. You can ask Jesus to be your Savior right now, though. It's as simple as a prayer that you would repeat these words after me. Dear Jesus, please forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Please be my Savior. I am a sinner and I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross. You pray those simple words, you begin a relationship with God. But for the rest of us, I think we need to make sure that we're living the life that lines up with the exception that God has made us. So in these moments as the elements are passed out and in these moments of contemplation before, I encourage you to do what the Word of God says. It says that we are supposed to examine ourselves and remember the cross. And so in this moment, I encourage you to do just that. As several people are going to pass out the elements, and then I encourage you, we always partake together, so just hold those elements until um, I instruct you and when we're going to take them. But let's thank God right now that he saved us and that we're the exception. And then let's take some quiet time ourselves to contemplate with the Spirit's help and how we're doing at living out this experience that he's called us to. Dear God, thank you for dying on the cross for us. Thank you for saving us and making us the exception. God, as we partake of these elements and are reminded of your sacrifice for us, give us hearts that are clear with you and pure before you. We pray this in your name. Amen. If I could have several people come and pass out the elements.